Thank you for that great reading. Uh, Sobra brought before us. For those who are new here watching this morning, we're, we're going through the, the book of John and I'll be quoting more verses later on as part of the message. But before we start, let us just ask God's blessing on our service today. Our dear loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you we can come before you today and bring your word. We pray that we might not only be hearers of your word, but doers also. We ask your blessing upon other services at the same time. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week we learnt how John continues to reveal who Jesus is through his encounters with various people. For John the Baptist and Nathaniel, faith seemed to come very easy for them. But for Nicodemus, he was, saw himself as a good man. He was a great leader, and yet he was condemned to the gift of life. Nicodemus needed to be born again by the Spirit of God. And then there was the outcast Samaritan woman. Unlike Nicodemus, with a good reputation, she was known for her immortality. Faith was hard for her because she knew she was a great sinner. And yet Jesus drew her step by step until she realised that God valued her. And he wanted her to have eternal life and to worship him. And I say to all the folk out there this morning that one thing you've got to realise that God values each person, no matter what age you are, the young or the old, God values you. In the next section of John's Gospel, we see the performing some outstanding miracles and we see that some people respond to the gospel but we also see that some people rejected the gospel the good news of salvation and these days we're all used for used to doing things remotely aren't we for decades we've had the telephone we've had the radio we've had the tv more recently mobile phones and the internet and the ipads for most people, communications and distance and is not a, a problem because separation, and as we found that the event of COVID-19, more and more people are able to work from home or do things remotely. However, there are still some things that just can't happen from a distance. We still need lifesavers. If you're struggling out in the sea there, you need someone to come and help you. First responders, doctors, nurses, paramedics to physically turn up for work from a home. <clears throat> and simply, they can't heal people or save lives until they are present. But in this account, as John's four chapters draw to a close, Jesus saves a child from sickness or from nearly death without even seeing him. He does it remotely. Since leaving the Samaritan village, Jesus had travelled north about a three days journey and arrived in Cana, 
which was the region of Galilee. And this becomes the scene for his next sign. And these signs, of course, are the miracles that point to the power of God behind them. The Gospel of John identifies eight miracles that constitute signs with gives confirmation or proof that reinforces Jesus' true identity. And so each of the eight miracles was different. No two were alike. And John's purpose was to convince his readers of Jesus' true identity as the incarnate God-man. And so back in Cana, a royal official had travelled up from Capernaum to seek urgent help from Jesus. And the son man was at the point of death. And he begged Jesus to come to Capernaum and heal him. And as we read in verse 48, Jesus said, Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, you will never believe. And this statement of Jesus reflects sadly on uh, the fact that without signs, the people would not believe. And further on towards the end of the gospel, John makes it clear that Jesus' signs are the intention for giving us a reason to believe. And I believe the practical application here is that we're not only we're not to rely on a sign, but to rely on Jesus himself. As Jesus would later saying, even to doubting Thomas, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. We see here that even when the people witnessed such things, their soul, so-called belief was very shallow. It was based all on amazement and nothing more. And this is mentioned back in chapter 2 and verse 23 and 25. And it said, They did not see through the sign to Jesus, the Son of God. You see, Jesus did not need to see the man's son to heal him, as he did in the beginning. In the creation that we read about in uh, John 1, Jesus simply brings life by speaking his word. John 1 said, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. He just speaks a word and it happens. And in verse 50, Jesus tells a man that his son will live. And I believe this shows shows to us that Jesus' word is very powerful. He does not have to be physically present to change life, but simply speak through his word. The fact that the man's son was healed at the exact time that Jesus spoke tells us that Jesus had total sovereign power, not only over sickness, but over the whole world. John then adds in verse 53 that the man and all his household believed. You can imagine at first there was sorrow there. They were anxious. Their son was sick. Now he had been healed. He's rejoicing. 
because there's much rejoicing in the house because, and they all believe because of the healing of that son. But we find that he, John means us to see this man as an example of a Galilean who believed without the physical evidence of a sign. In contrast with the people of Jerusalem who did not only truly believe despite many signs. And so whether or not the official started out as someone who would only believe if he saw signs and wonders, he now responds to Jesus with real faith. He believed when Jesus spoke to him. He believed when he realised at the same time that Jesus spoke, his son was healed. And the result was his faith was confirmed. His faith was strengthened when he saw that God was faithful to all his promises. What a testimony to have. And some might ask us, how do we know that God is faithful? We know because God is unchangeable. His love never changes. His holiness never changes. His purpose never changes. And his glory never changes and his promises never change. And we have that wonderful verse in Hebrews 13 and 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Yes, God is with us at all times. And I would say to those out there who has a faith in Jesus, hang on to it. Don't let it go. Don't let your faith die. Build on it and let it grow. Our world is in a state of constant change, isn't it? We'll most certainly experience change throughout our lives. In fact, the COVID-19s has impacted us with ongoing changes in the way we live. At times, especially when you listen to the news, it seems that the whole world is trembling beneath our feet. And what a comfort it is for us to know that our Heavenly Father is a rock that cannot be shaken. God is our rock. He cannot be moved. He doesn't change. He's dependable. We can rely on him. And God's word promises in Malachi 3.6. It says, I am the Lord. I do not change. It's like God is opening the heavens and speaking to us. I am the Lord. I do not change. And this is the security we have as Christians. We come to know God who is so dependable. Jesus promises in his word that he will never leave us nor forsake us. He is with us to the end of time. He has promised that nothing can separate us from his love. One of the more modern songs that we've sung about, it goes like this. Faithful one, 
so unchanging. Angelous ones, you're the rock of peace. Lord, I depend on you. I call out to you again and again. You are my rock in times of trouble. You lift me up when I fall down. All through the storms, your love is the anchor. My hope is in you alone. So Jesus' message It was strong. It was powerful. Offering life. Offering light. But the people did not want to hear it. And you know, it is no different today. We have the sceptics. We have those who respond to the gospel. And we have those who completely reject the gospel and do not believe there is even a God. I wonder what our response would be if we had been there during that time. Would would we have thought the claims that Jesus had were outrageous? I guess we would have mixed feelings like those of old. Feelings of confusion, all different kinds of emotions. And yet for us now, We know the end of the story and can follow it right through the Bible, which gives us all the proof we need to understand God's amazing love and his grace. Recently, I read one of the late Billy Graham's books and And it was interesting to note that through his evangelistic ministry, he also encountered the church leaders who criticised his ministry. And that there were always some who tried to destroy it. And although there was so much blessing through the Crusades, thousands of people came to know the Lord and their lives were changed. Yet, there were those who rejected the gospel and were openly very hostile towards his ministry. And again, God was faithful. He opened doors in other lands where his word had never been preached before. It's like Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father Accept by me. And closer to home, some of us may have a member in our family who is not walking with the Lord. It may be they have made a commitment a long time ago in their life and they've just wandered away. Or they've never responded to the gospel at all. As parents, as grandparents, how we long for our families to belong to the Lord and experience the joy of salvation and the knowledge that their future is secure. We long to see our grandchildren grow up in strong Christian families, but it's not 
sometimes going to happen. They reject Jesus and just go their own way. What do we do? We continue to love them. We continue to pray for them. And it reminded me of the words as was quoted before, Psalm 100. For the Lord is good (laughs) and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues for all generations. And this is what we long for. This is what we hang on to because God is so faithful. We now come to chapter 5, and in this section, we're looking at begins the shift from reservation and hesitation about Jesus as the Messiah to outright rejection. Previously, we have seen Jesus face little or no hostile questioning. Whilst unbelief and failure to receive Jesus was present, The organised opposition against Jesus had not yet emerged. But now we see the religious leaders challenge and confront Jesus. And we also see in response to this, Jesus presents challenges of his own. The whole tone of this gospel changes at this point. The opposition starts with controversy regarding Jesus' healing of the paralyzed man on the Sabbath. And following this miracle, Jesus confronts the Jews' religious hypocrisy with clear statements about his deity. And for the first time, we find that John reveals the murderous intent of the Jewish leaders. And at this point, I'd like to read from chapter 5, verses one to eight. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jew- Jew- Jewish festivals. Now there in, was in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which is in Aramaic, is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame and the paralysed, one who had been there an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I am trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was on the Sabbath. The pool of Bethesda was a shrine for sick people who wished to be healed and many people were brought there each day in the hope that they would benefit from the miraculous waters when they were stirred. 
And you can imagine the different emotions that was going on around that pool, all trying to get in at once because it was only the one who got in first that was healed. And we find that this man had been coming there for 38 years when Jesus saw him at the pool. This man did not see Jesus as a potential healer. His mind was set on the supposed troubling of the waters. And when we look at this miracle, we see that the man's faith was not essential to his cure because he did not even know who Jesus was. And so while Jesus usually healed in response to faith, he was not hindered by a person's lack of it. And we see the contrast in the miracle Jesus performed in Mark 5 and 25 with the woman who touched the hem of his garment. This woman knew who Jesus was. She had followed him around. She had seen his miracles. And she said, if only if I could touch his garment, I would be made whole. And she worked herself through the crowds. And she got up to Jesus and she touched him. And Jesus turned to her and he said, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And this is where we see the Jews' reaction to Jesus of healing of the sick man that we read about earlier. The Jews had very strict regulations on keeping the Sabbath. But they also had some rather curious loopholes that the lawyers soon got hold of. And we might ask the question, why do Jesus' actions and his words cause so much trouble? Firstly, it was because Jesus healed that paralyzed man on the Sabbath, which means both that Jesus had done work on the day of rest and also that he had told the man to pick up his mat which the religious leaders count as doing work on the Sabbath. And to understand this further, the Jewish leaders had learned the lesson of the Babylonian exile centuries before. They knew it all too well, because at the time when they were sent into exile for breaking the Sabbath, worshipping idols and not following God's law, They now had almost become a Sabbath police in an effort to make sure they avoided a repeat of Israel's history. It would also seem that the man was ungrateful for his healing because when he finds out who healed him, he then reports Jesus to the authorities as we read in verses 13 and 15. And further on in verse 19 and 30, Jesus gives us a defense for his act on healing on the Sabbath. The Jewish leaders now are seeking to persecute him. And so Jesus' statement in verse 17 says, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. And this has caused the escalation of all the persecution. 
And we find that the argument with the religious leaders is not about uh, what you can do or not do on the Sabbath. As Jesus had done, it was now an ag argument whether Jesus was equal with God. You see, the Jews did not object to the idea that God is the father of all, but strongly object to Jesus' claim that he stood in a special relationship with the father, a relationship so close that it made him equal with God. And this claim to equality with God is what causes the Jewish leaders to try and kill him. And having predestined that Jesus is not God, they oppose and plot to kill him for making that claim. Now, although we see Jesus showing authority, claiming that he and the Father are one, we also see his humility. In the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians 2.7, he says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in the likeness of man and being found in appearance as man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on the cross. And towards the end of this chapter, Jesus has much to say about his relationship with his father, drawing attention to the fact that the father and the son share a complete Unity of purpose. They share a complete unity of action, even though each has a different role. And so when we, <clears throat> we look at the cross, I think it is important for us to realise that we can never separate the father and son in our understanding of the cross, because the, they were as one in Christ's death as they were in his life. You see, God the Father did not lay on the Son an ordeal he was reluctant to bear, nor did the Son extract from the Father a salvation he was reluctant to bestow. No. In fact, their wills so incorrect coincided in perfect self-sacrifice of love. And it is God who bears in himself the consequences of our sin. And it was God through his Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who puts himself in our place on the cross. Jesus paid the penalty for our sin. God was reconciling the world to himself, as we read in 2 Corinthians 5.19. And when we read through the Bible, we find there are so many balancing statements. When, for instance, we know that the cross was in God's will, because we read in Acts 2.23, this man, 
was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death and nailed him to a cross. However, Jesus also said in John 3, 4, 34, My will, my will, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. You see, the Father's plan and the Son's actions go together in perfect harmony. I'd like to read from chapter 5, verses from 19 to 23. Jesus gave this answer. Verily, truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these. And so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even the Son gives life to those he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that he may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. We see here the sign of raising the paralysed man. But it also leads to the visual greater works that Jesus was talking about, mentioned here that the Son will do, which also springs from his relationship with his Father. And at the end of time, Jesus will raise the dead and judge the people and appoint them to either salvation or condemnation. He is the Son of Man to whom the Ancient of Days gives authority to judge the world. And while the promise of eternal life is wonderful, the resurrection to judgment would be much worse than those 38 years that that man who had been crippled. The healed man's continued sinning Jesus warned him about most certainly is his failure to believe in Jesus despite the sign that he also experienced. And so John brings out the truth of the gospel in verse 24, when Jesus said, I tell you a truth. Whoever hears my word and believes in him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but has crossed over from death unto life. And in further on in verse 29, John talks about those who have done good and those who have done evil. And this, of course, does not mean that salvation is based on good works, no. But the very gospel makes it plain over and over again that we enter eternal life through belief and faith in Jesus Christ. However, the lives we live form the test of faith that we profess. Salvation is by grace and it is received by faith. 
Ephesians 2.8 clearly states that wonderful verse, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. It's not of works in case no one will boast. And so we come to the four Gospels, all tell of Jesus being put on trial at the end of his life. But John's Gospel presents to us his whole life as evidence and testimony as to who he is. And Jesus sets out the, the problem right at the very beginning of time. The light shines in the darkness, it said, but the darkness has not understood it. And here in the last verses of chapter 5, Jesus' words remind us of some of the witnesses that John calls on Jesus' behalf. First, there is John the Baptist. His job was always to be a witness of the light, and many folk followed him. Secondly, the miracles was another witness. The fact that his deeds echo the work of God Attest me to our Lord's divine mission. This is brought out further in chapter 10 with Jesus' answer to the question, if you are the Christ, tell us plainly. And Jesus' reply was, I did tell you, I did tell you, but you still would not believe. The miracles I do in my Father's name speak of me. Now you see, Jesus' testimony about himself required the whole support of all of God's revelation. Otherwise, it would have been not unacceptable. And so Jesus points out that he has another whose testimony is far important than John's. And this, is, of course, is his father. But once again, the people lacked the spiritual perception, and to understand who Jesus really was, despite the fact that they claim to know the scriptures, which contains the words of witness. And when we look back, we can see so many opportunities for people to see the light, but sadly they missed it because of their unbelief. And you know, it's possible for us to, to have the Bible, even have church traditions, and still miss what Jesus wants to say to us and what he wants to do with our lives. All too often, we assume that we know what God is saying and we fail to hear the message of his words. It's like Jesus is saying, this is the way, walk ye in it. And the whole gospel of John is filled with profound truths and rich spiritual stories, stories of Christ's miracles that inspire his followers, stories of his death that redeems the lost, stories of the resurrection that provides us with hope for eternal glory to be forever with our Lord. Every miracle, every teaching, every action of Jesus in John's gospel 
has one clear purpose, and that is to prove Christ is the Word. Christ is the Messiah. Christ is the Son of God. And I trust as we move through the dramatic milestones of Christ's ministry as portrayed portrayed by John, it will lead us to a deeper understanding of the purpose of Christ's coming to this earth and the love of God the Father as he planned for our redemption. Let us pray. Dear loving Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for the God of heaven who gave us his Son to come into this world and to come and to die at Calvary. We thank you, Father, that you rose again that third day and were seen to go into heaven. We thank you that we, down here, we can believe in this and trust this wonderful truth and ask Jesus to come into our lives and we can have a purpose in life. We can follow you. We can believe in you. And we have the hope before us that you will come again to receive us unto yourself. Thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the, for the truths that John in the gospel has tried to reveal to us. Oh, Father, if there's any out there this morning, maybe they're like the crippled man. They have something not quite right and they need to be healing. We know that you're a God who heals. You're a God who restores. You're a God who is stable. You're a God who gives salvation. And so we pray for everyone this morning that whatever their needs are, that you will meet them. We ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen.